morning service is sponsored by Hovis. <laughs> but it's a great little advert, isn't it? And uh, it reminds us, doesn't it? I don't know about you, but whenever we're on holidays, um, and maybe you've been away a couple of weeks, and you've had some beautiful food, and you sort of fly back into Glasgow, come home maybe at nine o'clock at night or whatever, and I say to Heather, we slice a toast. And there's just something comforting, something homely, something very satisfying about being back home and having a bit of bread and butter and marmalade or whatever. Whenever we were over in the Isle of Man at Christmas, we were staying with an Irish family who had just come back from Northern Ireland, and uh, they had brought with them what we worship in terms of bread— which is Vita bread. You don't get it over here in Scotland, although it originated here. And it's a sort of malt bread. And uh, Eleanor that we were staying with said, would you like to take a loaf home with you? And so we arrived home on New Year's Eve. And before going down to uh, the cathedral for the service to bring in the bells, I said, Heather, we better toast. And... Uh, Slice of Vida, toasted butter, Lyle's golden syrup. It really is just something that's really good. And again, this is probably a Northern Ireland thing. Mars bar and apple and two slices of Vida bread. I mean, it just keeps you going for the whole day. 
It's what the doctor recommends. It tastes good. Sometimes I used to take it on the way to work, you know, when I did a proper job. And I just thought, that'll keep me going the rest of the day. Something very satisfying. And whatever sort of bread you like, isn't that true? Sometimes there's nothing better than a mug of tea and a slice of bread. It's just so satisfying. Well, last Sunday, we were looking in John chapter 6, and Jesus actually miraculously fed 5,000 men plus women and children. And then he ended up, uh, the disciples got in the boat, and they were in the midst of a storm, and he came and calmed the storm. Well, we're now in the second part of that chapter. And I suppose one of the key verses is verse 35, where Jesus comes and he says, I am the bread of life. I am the vita of life. That's probably not quite true. But I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. It's a great quote, isn't it? It's a great line. And after all, Jesus had just fed all these people. And now they were looking for him and trying to find him and wanting to know more on the surface anyway. And Jesus comes and, in a sense, he now reinterprets the miracle that he had just done on the hillside. And he says, I know that I fed you, and I fed you with so much that there were 12 baskets left over. But he says, that's not what I'm really about. And so he introduces the first of these I am sayings that in some way encapsulate the essence of who Jesus is and why he came. And so he says, I am at the very heart of who I am, at the very heart of my ministry, at the very heart of my purpose. I am the bread of life. And whoever eats of me will never go hungry. And clearly, he didn't mean physically. He was talking about a spiritual hunger that would be satisfied eternally forever and ever and ever. He says, come to me, eat of me, partake of me. And that hunger for meaning, that hunger for purpose, that hunger for your soul being satisfied will be met, not just for today, not just until the next helping, but forever. I am the bread of life. Of course, to go back to last week, and Jesus had, in a sense, confused the crowd because the disciples had all got on the boat and gone to the other side, but they didn't see Jesus get on the boat. So they wonder, where on earth is Jesus? But eventually they sussed them all out, and uh, they found him over at Capernaum on the other side of the lake. And it says in verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they said, Rabbi, 
Where did you get here? And Jesus answered them and said, Very truly I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. You see, the crowd were following Jesus, but with sort of mixed motives. They weren't really overly impressed with the special signs and miracles that he performed. What they really enjoyed was the lunch that he gave them. And they just thought, well, if this can keep on going, wow, life is going to be so much better. And in one sense, it resonated with their whole materialistic approach to life. Jesus comes and he challenges that. And he says, don't work for things ultimately that don't matter. And of course, most of us invest our lives in trying to fulfill those deepest needs that we have. Depending on who you talk to, people will say that humanity has three or four or five or six deep psychological needs that must be met. Many in the end still go back to the 1940s and Maslow's hierarchy of human need, where in addition to physiological needs, he says there are deep psychological needs within every individual. The need for security, the need to be loved and for to have a sense of belonging, and the need for affirmation and to be valued by others. And over the years, however those have been split up and teased out, most sociologists and psychologists will still identify those deep human needs at being at the very heart of our psyche. And in one sense, that's how most of us live. It's how most of us have lived, certainly before we came to know Jesus. We want to live a life where there's a sense of security and I feel confident in who I am and where my life is going. I need to feel loved. I need to feel part of a group. I need to feel a sense of belonging. In fact, those of you who've been watching telly over the past couple of weeks will notice that even in the context of the knife crime in London, people say, why do young people go into gangs? And partly it's because they're looking for a sense of love and acceptance and belonging that they haven't found within society as a whole. But it's true for all of us. And that sense of being valued and affirmed, feeling that we have something worthwhile to contribute in this world in which we live. And at the heart of this passage, Jesus is saying, yes, I recognize that. But ultimately, you will find your fulfillment in me, in relationship with me, and in relationship with my Father. In me, your longing for security will be met. Because as we'll see in a couple of minutes' time, whenever we come to know Jesus... He is committed that one day we will rise with him 
at the last days and reign with him forever and ever. He will never, ever let us go. There's that sense of knowing his love. I have loved you, God says, with an everlasting love. Again, as we'll hint at in a minute's time, a love that was so wonderfully displayed at the cross of Calvary. A love that is unconditional, that accepts us just as we are. And through coming to know Jesus, being welcomed and adopted into the family of God, and that sense of belonging, a sense of being valued and affirmed. Because as we read in the Bible, even before we were a tiny dot in our mother's womb, God says, I knew you, and I purpose for you, and I have a plan for you and for your life. And so Jesus is saying to these crowds that are following him and wanting something that's material, ultimately that won't satisfy. Ultimately that isn't going to meet what's deep down in your human psyche. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Come to me and you will never hunger again. Come to me and you will never be thirsty. So they respond and they say, but what must we do to do the works that God requires? And Jesus says, the work of God is is simply this, to believe in the one that he has sent. Jesus is saying, in one sense, you don't need to do anything. It's not about striving to find this deep satisfaction, to find this fulfillment, but it's about coming and believing in who I am. And again, they don't seem overly impressed. And so they start raising questions with Jesus. And he says to them, or they say to him, what sign will you give us that we may see and believe you? I mean, hadn't he just fed them miraculously? Hadn't he just made the sea grow calm? But they're still not buying into what Jesus is saying. What sign will you give us? What will you do? And then they go back and go over all their history. Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. And you almost feel like Jesus going, how many times have I heard this? Oh, Moses can do this. Moses can do that. Do you actually not remember the story? Yeah, he did give you heavenly bread, manna, which satisfied you physically. But also, it ended up going rotten on the ground the following day if you didn't consume it. And in the end, it was only a temporary provision. It wasn't something that lasted forever. And so Jesus goes on and he says, very truly, and again, you remember that phrase where Jesus said, look, set up, take note, this is important. Very truly, I tell you, it's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it's my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and is given to the world. 
And then he goes into that verse 35. I, not Moses, I am the bread of life. I am the one who can bring satisfaction. I am the one who can meet your deepest human need. And yet having said all of that, again, there were those in the crowd that clearly weren't persuaded. They weren't for buying in to what Jesus had just been saying. And so again, they grumble and they complain and they raise a question after another. And in one sense, Jesus comes to them again and he tries to explain to them why this bread is so good. Why there is nothing better on the market. Why this bread ultimately is the one who can beat the deepest needs of the human psyche. And so there are a number of verses that follow verse 35 that are actually not the most straightforward even to understand. But essentially what Jesus is doing is to try and help people who believe in him in a sense, who have eaten of the bread of life, to remind them that within this new relationship with God, there is something that is beyond comparison. And so he emphasizes the security that is within the relationship. So he says to them the following words. He says, All those the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. And so Jesus is now saying to those who will believe that as you receive of me the bread of life, you find a relationship in which there is security for eternity. Because the Father has chosen us to be his children. And there's a whole discussion to be had there which you might want to enjoy over your dinner about the issue of human responsibility which is clearly there in the story people need to come and believe in him or they can refuse him and yet at the same time we have this sense of divine initiative and divine sovereignty where God the Father has almost given those that he wants to draw himself to the Lord Jesus. We're seeing this whole story of your life from two different perspectives. There are those who are hungry and longing for fulfillment and who are hankering after some answers to their deepest human need. And in that need, they come and respond to the words of Jesus. But then from the perspective of the Father, 
he says, but these are people that I love. And I love them from eternity past. And I love them in the present. And my mark is upon them. And my seal is upon them. And I'm going to work in their life by my spirit. And I'm going to draw them to myself. Sometimes over the years and over the centuries, Christians have ended up getting into big arguments and discussions about this whole issue of election and predestination and how much is my response and how much is God's initiative. And it was the old Baptist preacher, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who used to get really upset when people tried to drive a wedge between those two perspectives. Because he says in the end, we end up arguing over one of the most glorious truths in the whole of the Bible. And that is that those who come to know Jesus, those who receive him as the bread of life, actually come to realize that they have been loved with an everlasting love. There never was a moment when God didn't love them. And by his grace, he draws them to himself. An old Scottish theologian, P.T. Forsyth, who died in the early 1920s, I think, he says in one of his books, there was a Calvary above, the mother of it all. And, And what he means by that was that way back in eternity past, in the purposes and will of God, Calvary was already there at the very heart of his purposes for humanity. And so here Jesus is trying to tease out some of these issues, but he's doing it in order to help his disciples to feel secure and fulfilled in this relationship that they are coming to have with him. Therefore, he says, none will be lost. We will be raised up, and we will be with him forever. But again, many in the crowd said, this is hard to take on board. We find this hard to believe. We find this hard to accept. And so, again, their response is one of grumbling. But Jesus then comes and he says to them, very truly, he says, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. So Jesus now, I think, is trying to explain to the crowd what it actually means to believe in him, to acknowledge that he is the bread of life. And he uses, in this context, the vivid imagery of eating and drinking. Clearly, he doesn't mean physically to take a bite out of Jesus. And he doesn't appear to be talking about communion or the Lord's Supper. There's no hint that he is. And yet, we can see a parallel there in hindsight. But what he is saying is, 
that in some ways to believe in Jesus is to partake of him and all that he represents, to avail yourself of Jesus and his person and his work and all that he came to do. And so whenever he died on the cross in Calvary and his body was broken for us, whenever his blood was shed so that all the wrongdoing that we have done could be cleansed, whenever he came and brought about that reconciliation, that redemption on the cross of Calvary. So he says, using this vivid language, he says, to to believe in me, to partake of the bread of life, is almost literally to buy in to all that I am, all that I represent, all that I've done. And so he uses this language of eating his body and drinking his blood to communicate what's at the heart of believing in him. But again, many of the disciples and many of those that were there don't buy into what he has said. And so again, they start grumbling. And so in verse 63, Jesus comes and he responds to them. And he says, the spirit it is who gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. Yet there are still some of you who don't believe. And then he turns to his closest disciples. And he says, are you also going to turn back and stop following me? Do you also not get this? Do you want to leave me too? Jesus said to the twelve. And Simon Peter answers him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And so many of those in the crowd who were really just following Jesus and chasing after him with all sorts of false motives and with all sorts of motives that ultimately wouldn't lead to their deep inner needs being satisfied. So in the end, he turns to the twelve, to those closest to him, and he says, are you also like the rest of these? Or do you truly believe in me? (laughs) And Peter comes, as we have just read, Lord, where else do we eat? Where else can we find bread that satisfies? Where else can we find the security? Where else can we find something that will give us eternal significance? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know you. And as John Wesley says there in his quotation, there's nothing short of God that can satisfy our soul. Or again, to go back to Vida and Northern Ireland and C.S. Lewis, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation 
is that we were made for another world. See, that's at the heart of this story as well. If we find in ourselves a desire, a longing, a longing for satisfaction, a longing for the deep needs of our soul to be met, but nothing in this world appears to satisfy. The most probable explanation, Lewis says, is that we were made for another world. And that's why Jesus comes and he says, look, I am the bread of life. Unless you eat of me, you will never find that satisfaction that you're longing for. In two or three minutes, we're going to close with singing a final song here, which says, No one but you, Lord, can satisfy the longing of my heart. Nothing I do, Lord, can take the place of drawing near to you. Only you, only Jesus, can fill our deepest longing. Only Jesus can breathe into us new life. Only he can fill my heart with laughter. Only he can hear my heart's cry. So I want to say to you this morning, and I want to encourage you here this morning, if deep down in your heart you're longing for something more. You're longing for something that will satisfy your deepest inner needs. You're longing for something that will satisfy your soul. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Come to me and you will never go hungry. Come to me and you will never thirst again. And that's why throughout the months of February and March, we're running an Alpha course here in the church. Because as a church, we believe that Jesus is the bread of life. And we want to provide the opportunity for others to engage with Jesus and with the message that he proclaims. And so on your seats, there are lots of little invitations. Please don't take them and just tear them up or throw them away if you're not going to use them. But maybe you do have a member of your family. Maybe you have a friend, a buddy, a colleague, and you think, you know, this would be great to invite them along to an Alpha course. Here in the church where we eat good food together, watch stimulating video chat together around the table with complete freedom to discuss and ask and question whatever you wish, without pressure. But what an opportunity to introduce others to the one who is the bread of life. So every Wednesday night in February and March, Alpha will be here in the church. We're just going to take two minutes as the band come to watch a little video clip about that as well.
Every day we ask so many questions. What should I wear? What's the weather going to be like? How am I going to fit everything in? But then there are those bigger questions, like why am I here? Where am I heading? Is there more to life than this? Journey together, an adventure to explore the questions of life, faith, and meaning. 